You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to. Do not to not elsewhere. Not elsewhere. 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 Classified. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified, a podcast about the medical coding, health information technology, and clinical documentation improvement community. I'm your host, Brian Kui. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Not Else for Classified podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kui. Where have you been, Brian Kui? Well, it's definitely been a long summer of heat and projects. Uh, I'm going to save just uh, just some summer experience for another solo episode soon. Um, but in the meantime, uh, if you are a new listener, uh, thank you. Uh, please make sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Just keep in mind all of those ratings and reviews help us get noticed in the iTunes uh, algorithm so we get noticed. Also, don't forget our partners. Uh, that includes the Halgen Consulting Group, RadRx, uh, Project Resume, and so much more. Uh, to learn more about our partners and also our promotions with our partners, meaning that you can get special pricing off of their services. You can go to medicalcodinggeek.com partners. And of course, for our special promos, you can go to medicalcodinggeek.com promos. Also, I wanted to share some dates uh, that I will be speaking. It sounds like I'm a I'm a touring comedian, <laughs> but uh, in this case, it's uh, touring for uh, HIM speaking opportunities uh, on October 23rd of this year. It's going to be in a few weeks. Uh, I will be speaking with Ronnie Knight, who is the director of coding operations for RCM Technologies. Uh, I will be speaking with her to talk about CDI and Compliant Query Practices. That'll be October 23rd at 12 noon Central Standard Time. Uh, I believe that'll be that's 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Regardless, uh, you can go to my LinkedIn page, Brian Kui, B-R-I-A-N-C-U-I. You could find me there. Uh, I post the information on there. Also, I'll be posting the uh, events on the show notes at medicalcodinggeek.com slash podcast. Also on the 26th, October 26th, uh, I will be at Gainesville, Florida, the home of the uh, University of Florida Gators. I'll be speaking at UF Health for the North Central uh, Florida AAPC chapter. Again, I've been invited to speak very early in the morning, <laughs> first thing in the morning, uh, I think 7.45 in the morning, I'll be the first speaker at the Coding Fiesta, again at uh, Gainesville, Florida, University of Florida. Then on November 9th, I've been invited to speak again uh, in Fort Myers, Florida. That is Southwest Florida. Uh, Fort Myers, uh, AAPC, uh, they've invited me again the same year, man. It's been... <laughs> I'm going there down to there again, uh, I believe, to speak on DRGs, diagnosis-related groups. Uh, I've been invited there to speak about that. APR DRGs, MSDRGs, case mix index. I'll be 
sharing my insights on that. Again, that is Fort Myers AAPC on November 9th. Again, I'll be posting all of that on LinkedIn, also on the Medical Coding Geek website. Of course, if you want me to be a speaker, uh, you can check out for those that have invited me. You can share. You can uh, reach out to them and find out how I did. Uh, I've been doing a great job so far. Uh, Also, I've been invited to speak at HealthCon AAPC, but that'll be next year. And I'm working on a few more dates. But of course, if you want me to be a speaker uh, for your event virtually, or in person, again, you can reach out to me at bcui at medicalcodinggeek.com. So our guest today, uh, you know what exactly happened is that I had recorded this episode exactly a year ago in October of 2018. And I think as I moved along uh, in working with the podcast, and I, I think our last uh, podcast episode was Christian Zouane, uh, then that's where I got caught up in all of the conferences, AAPC, HealthCon. Um, this episode really got lost <laughs> in my files. And, you know, then working uh, a summer project uh, and then coming back, I realized that I had missed this episode. I could have just given you this episode after uh, even talking about the transitions and all of that. Um, I, can give, I could have given you that, but then I found this episode. Uh, and so I re- actually uh, reached out. Our, our guest is actually, her name is Joanne Toss. And I reached out to her. I was so, so afraid that I lost contact with her, but good enough, good, you know, luckily I found her. I reached out to her. I told her, hey, I found your episode. I am releasing it. So today's episode is a transitions episode. This uh, Joanne Toss was a medical transcriptionist who transitioned to become a coder. Uh, just listening it from from editing we had a wonderful conversation i'm like man this was a great conversation so uh i'm not gonna add on to or share anything else about this episode i'm just gonna leave it up to uh what we recorded before uh so here is my interview with joanne toss enjoy All right, everybody, welcome to the Not Us Reclassified podcast. I have here on today's episode, uh, Joanne Toss. Is that how you say your name, Joanne Toss? How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. All right. So uh, I was talking a little bit earlier. You tend to like start the podcast without without formally starting it, as I mentioned. But um, I have her on today because she... Uh, took an initiative to write a story. Now, the story she'll definitely uh, share with you, uh, but you know, just a story of how we connected per se. Uh, very quickly, <laughs> is she posted an article? Um, where is it from? What association is the New York uh, Health Information Management Association? Um, yes, nineteen. Yeah. And I saw this link in the Medical Coding Geeks Facebook group. I'm like, what is this? And I was just mentioning earlier, I almost deleted it. I almost deleted it off the group uh, only because I thought it was some form of advertising uh, of an event. or That's something that I'm not aware of. If I'm not aware of, like people, you know, at least let me know that you're going to do it. And I have to like see, you know, if there's any indirect marketing, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
So I'm like, okay, let me click it. And I'm like, oh, it's a story. And I'm like, oh, it's an article. I got to read it. And so when I read it, um, I'm like, well, you know, if she wrote this, then she should be, uh, at least for me, it was an opportunity to get you on <laughs> to to at least tell it. Because uh, I know, uh, I, you know I, I've been on an initiative lately for people to uh, create content. But um, I've been on an initiative now for people to speak it. And I think when people write a lot of articles, I see, you know, a lot of people uh, putting articles out there, uh, posting other people's articles. But it's nice and refreshing when people create their own stuff and they put it out there, especially when it's relatable to the health information management, uh, coding and CDI community. Uh, so yeah, so immediately I, I went ahead and say, Hey, uh, would you want to be on the podcast? And she's like, sure. Uh, so <laughs> you wanted well, me to message you for that opportunity. Yeah. 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 And then all of a sudden, <laughs> like, usually I send you an email and boom, you, you scheduled the, you scheduled the, the recording right away. And I'm like, Oh, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's like in two days I got to get ready. And, um, I use normally when I when I have people on the podcast, I have like a separate conversation um, about the podcast, and then start the and do the separate recording. But I've always found that when I talk to people about screening it, we I tend we tend to just have that conversation then, and it loses its energy um, by the time. I do the recording. I mean, the, the recording itself is energetic, but I I like capturing or at least me listening to your story firsthand right away and getting blown getting blown by uh, blown away by it uh when I first hear it cuz if I hear it the second time I'm like you know you don't hear me in the background so <laughs> so this right, is why right. I, I like I'm changing up this format I'm like hey I think you should just tell me it and I'll listen through it first time you know for the first time any questions that pop up uh we'll go right okay. ahead all right so um, so that's how we connected. I mean, really just off the cuff, you know, I see something, yeah. send her an email. She, and I am very happy that you just decided to, to take it on. So that's great. Thank you. Great. All right. So let's go ahead. Um, let's start off. You have this wonderful story, but let's go ahead and kind of go before that. I know you were, uh, for those that are listening, she wrote a story about uh, a transition from medical transcription to medical coding and 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 what's nice about this is that a lot of people in our group medical coding geeks are uh, i i've i've seen posts where i'm a medical transcriptionist i want to transition to medical coding how do i do that and i, I i'm glad that you're here because you could talk about that that transcription medical transcription knowledge and how you apply it in your schooling and then you know translate it into medical coding that's something we could talk about too uh, so let's start from the very beginning, uh, even bef- like how you even got into medical transcription, because we know the story, or you're going to uh, later on tell the story how you got into medical coding. But how did you get to where, how, where did you begin, and how did you get to where you're at today, before, before medical coding? So get to medical transcription, and then we'll talk, we'll kind of like talk into medical coding okay. afterwards. Okay, um, I began my career as a secretary, and I had a few jobs that were interesting. I was always very organized and liked computer work, and um, then I came upon a job working for a doctor in a hospital, 
And I went for the interview not knowing anything about the medical field, even though I always had an interest in it. So I went to work for the director of psychiatry on a closed inpatient psychiatric unit. And I immediately knew that I found what was right for me. I enjoyed every aspect of the medical field, whether I was involved or observing. To this day, I have lifelong friends that I'm still friends with that I met working on the inpatient psychiatric unit as a secretary, like I said, to the director. Um, I did basic secretarial work, you know, doing appointments and things like that. And, of course, I did his work, his transcription, his dictation, I I should say. But then he had retired and I had another boss and I felt a little bored. So I decided to go and get a certification to be a certified medical secretary. And I thought that that might lead me to better things. So I went to my local community college to take a course in the first step to becoming certified. And they told me I needed to take medical terminology. And I said, okay. And I had always, like I said, liked working on the computer. Back then it was more word processing. And when I was taking the terminology course and learning all the anatomy and physiology, ins and outs of everything, I said, I really like this. And I really like working on the computer. And at that moment, I realized that there's a job in just doing that, and that's both medical transcription. So at the time, I was working at the hospital. Uh, When I completed the medical terminology course, I then took a course for medical transcription, which was putting, you know, um, everything together. Okay, here's the words. Now I'm going to give you a headset and a foot pedal and the word processor and and make it into sentences. (laughs) And, and, And that was an interesting, interesting transition because you had to be very coordinated with the eye, the hand, the ear, the brain. It all had to work together and ultimately had to work together very quickly. Um, so after I finished that course, I decided that was what I went to do, wanted to do. Now, nobody, we all know that nobody hires anybody without any experience. So I went down to the then director of that hospital and I talked to the director and I basically begged on my hands and knees for a position doing medical terminology, medical, medical transcription. I mean, I'm sorry. And lo and behold, I got a position. They gave me a job in the medical records department, and I sat with this wonderful woman who helped me. And here I was thinking, and I did graduate at the top of my class with the courses that I did take. So I really felt like a know-it-all as I marched into that transcription job. I really did. I was like, hey, I got an A. That's not easy to do. And then I immediately, when I sat down with that, you know, with the real dictation, now these weren't, you know, scholastic tapes. This is the real deal. This was Dr. Smith and Dr. Jones. And I had every specialty that a community hospital has from A to Z thrown at me at once. And I I wanted to die. I said, I made the biggest mistake of my life. What am I going to do for a job now? I can't do this. I would put the headphones on and be lost. And I, I, I didn't know anything of what I was hearing. You know, I would, I would get little words here and there. But what I did over the next year was make a copy of the corrected, the corrected work, struggle through it. And I had huge folders from A to Z. 
and I would take Dr. Smith's work and I would make a copy and I would highlight with a highlighter all the keywords for his specialty. And I put them in folders. And before long, these folders were bursting. So then the next time I got a report from Dr. Smith and I said, what is he saying? I went back to my notes and I said, oh, that is what he's saying. And after another year, it just became fluid. And I loved it. And I excelled. And I started working for doctors on the side. And this went on for a couple of years. And then I was working for myself. I left the hospital and I was working for myself, just working for a local area specialists and life was very, very good. And then I started hearing about, well, you know, in 10 years, you're not going to have a job because voice recognition will take over. And I just, I dismissed that because I thought that'll never happen. And 10 years went by and then 15 years went by. And then I started hearing about transcriptionists losing their job. And I started hearing about outsourcing and I started to panic because now I'm older and, you know, um, I said, what am I going to do? So that brings us up to maybe five years ago, and I saw transcriptionists losing losing jobs and salaries going down instead of up, and I realized this wasn't going to last forever. So I began to think about how I should, what I should do next. Now I've been in another hospital for about almost 15 years, and I've been a, I was a transcriptionist, and I talked to the coding supervisor, and she said, oh, it would be a perfect transition to go into coding. A lot of our coders used to be transcriptions because you have such a broad knowledge of anatomy and physiology and of the terminology and surgery. So I started taking courses. In, um, do you want me to get right back right, right into the... No, go ahead. Go Keep going. Yeah. Okay. okay, so I started taking courses here and there about coding. And I didn't even know what the first thing really what coding was. I hear about inpatient, outpatient, seems complicated. Then I would take a, a practice test online and ace it, and I was confident. So um, I was all over the map, and I was slowly getting an interest in coding. And then I took it a little bit more serious, and I enrolled for an online course that was approved by AHIMA. And that held a lot of weight. It was like 500 hours online, and it covers every aspect from A to Z of coding. And my, my hospital also offered a course um, that was an introduction to coding and billing, and I took that as well, and I got a certification with that, a national certification. So everything seemed to come together, and I was taking the online course. And then one day I got a phone call from my employer, and she said, I need you to come in. Can you come in on your day off to meet with me and her employer, her boss? And I just knew this was it, that I was getting laid off. And I was devastated that, you know, I didn't finish the course yet. And I have zero experience in coding. I, I'm, I'm done. So I went into this meeting. I asked the union rep to go with me um, because I knew that it was not going to be good. And as we're walking into the meeting, my boss says to me, why is the union rep here? Why did you bring uh, Why did you bring representation? And I said, what do you mean, why? And she laughed at me, and I thought to myself, I mean, how callous, because this is terrible. Well, I was completely wrong. In that meeting, I found out, they, they, they said to me, of course, what I dreaded hearing, um, that trans 
description is no longer viable and we've now outsourced the position. And I just went berserk in my mind thinking, this is my worst fear come true. This is the worst day I could have imagined. You know, I'm now unemployed after all these years. I don't want to go back to being a secretary. And in the next breath, I heard, but Joanne, with the initiative you've taken and the course you're taking, we'd like to offer you an entry-level ER coding position. And I just couldn't believe my ears and my eyes rolled up with tears because this went from the worst thing possible to the best thing possible in one fell swoop. And I have that position and I still have that position. And I went into this position very different than I went into transcription. Transcription, I went in so confident. In coding, I went in thinking, oh, how am I going to learn this? I don't, I'm not done with school yet. But it's been, you know, almost three years now, about two and a half years that I've been doing the ER coding. And little by little, you know, it's just all coming together. And I really enjoy the ERs because, you know, you get to code and read about real life people coming into the ER with their situations. Some of them are serious. Some of them are comical. Some of them are sad. Some of them are little kids with, you know, their little boo-boos that they have. And it's really nice. It's really nice. And I'm flying through the work now like I never thought I would be able to. But just the perseverance and and getting lucky, too, and and still being interested in learning, it's wonderful. With transcription, I always used to say there's not a day that goes by that I don't learn a new drug or procedure or or term. And it's the same with the ER coding. And um, I, I just consider myself to be very fortunate. I have a couple questions, of course, with within all of the, with all of that. Um, sure. You know, I well, first off, I I remember myself when I um, you know in 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 doing clinical documentation improvement, I was asked to do some inpatient coding, and at the time, um, I think the HM department was like kind of renovating a bit to a bigger space. And so as I'm doing inpatient coding, they had, you know, basically they had sent all the inpatient coders home, but, but they needed me to stay on site because I guess I was kind of like somewhat training. And so they, they placed me, uh, in with a room with transcriptionists and I'll tell you, transcriptionists are, are like the greatest people out there because they have, I mean, (laughs) at least, at least for me, all of the transcriptionists that I've met, they have great personalities, um, they always have a lot to say <laughs> for real. And it's, it's funny when you have, cause, cause I sat with, a, with three of them and, um, they, they always are like chatting, like, Oh, I can't believe what the hell is, <laughs> you could hear all these complaints. What the sure. hell is this doctor say? Or, you know, or I, I remember there's one, there was one transcription. So always like when she took a break, she just had to, I think it was like a release for her because, um, especially when you're doing a report, it can definitely get, uh, I, I guess, you know, it just, just a, a bit taxing on you. So there are times where she would just like tell a story and nobody's listening because everybody's, you know, headset on, uh, you know, uh, fingers to the keyboard and she would just tell a story. And, and, and I guess I'm the only one listening because I, I don't have anything in my ears. I'm the one coding the chart. So I have to listen to her. And, um, you know, there was one time where she didn't realize that one of her coworkers, the medical transcriptionist, um, was uh, kind of doing her work. And she, she said, you know, after she told her story, the other coworker kind of lifted her ear, 
her ear set and says, what did yes. you say? <laughs> you know, the foot pedal and, and so you could listen. Sure. Yeah. And I, I, and I look at the, and I, and one thing that I noticed too, is like, you know, the coordination of kind of like the foot pedal is for the playing and the pausing, the rewinding and all of that. And then you have the hands on the keyboard and then you have the, 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 the ear, the, the ear set. And then you have your eyes on the screen typing. And, and I always looked at it like, like somebody like the you would have the coordination of somebody who could handle a drum set like a full drum set have you ever <laughs> let me, i asked that question have you ever tried doing a drum set because i think you could have the coordination to do it you know you have the you have the hi-hat the, the snare you have the cymbals you have the the bass drum i mean i don't know if you ever went into a music store and tried it have you ever tried playing the set of drums before i've never tried drums but i have tried playing the piano because that's another amazing thing to me a friend of mine is a professional piano player and you basically have to use both sides of your brain at the same time Mm -hmm. one for your left hand and one for your right hand and how you bring them together together to sound to make beautiful music amazes me and he would look at what i do and he would say but that amazes me you're using all these things at once and especially with transcription you would have the shortcut program and i had a shortcut program so instead of typing out the patient is a 25-year-old female, I would just type in a code for, you know, TP or whatever, and it would pop out. Oh, so in yeah. addition to everything going on, I have the shortcuts yeah. that I've now got memorized that are just speeding me along, speeding me along. Yeah. But I definitely can see the transcriptions are in a drone as far as doing all that funky stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 you know, aside from just looking from behind, and then I go, you know, I don't want to bother the transcriptions, but I... I would go look at the screen and I would see like, <laughs> like it would just go. And then, uh, like you say, the shortcut. So all of a sudden, bam, bam, word, 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 word would just kind of pop up yes. uh, immediately. The shortcuts were just an amazing tool. Amazing tool. Yeah. My mother-in-law always used to say to me, you know, I, I had countless people through the years saying to me, you know, I really should do that. I want to work from home. I want to make all this money. That looks like a wonderful job. I'm just going to buy a good dictionary and i'm sure i could do that too and i've had countless people ask me about how to get into transcription and i don't think one of them ever did in the past 20 plus years not one of them but one time my mother-in-law came over the house and she said to me i'd really like to make some extra money i want to do what you do so i brought her over to the computer up and i said okay she goes i think i could do that i said let's see and she (laughs) had the headphones on and i could still see this headphones on i showed her she knew how to work a foot pedal Uh and the doctor started talking and she had her hands on the keyboard and she just looked at the screen yeah and she looked at me and she (laughs) said i i i don't know what to do i don't know what he's saying and i said to her i said mom you're not making any money come on get, get with it (laughs) <laughs> you're right. The the pay, you got a paper word. You got a paper word, and you're just like you know shooting blanks. <laughs> yeah, I said you're not making any money. Snap to it. Yeah. <laughs> and she was just. She just. I could still see the look on her face. She was like, "How do you do this? Oh, forget it. Forget it." <laughs> yeah, yeah. My husband it makes me laugh. Um, I just got to tell you something really funny. Uh-huh. Whenever we watch a movie or watch TV, I always like the closed captions on, and he hates the closed yeah. captions on. <laughs> Because if we don't have the closed captions, every two seconds I'm saying, what did he say? What did he say? Uh And then one day my husband figured it out, and I think he's right. He said to me, Joanne, you know why you like the closed captions on? 
And I said, well, I want to know what's going on. He said, no, it's because you're a transcriptionist and you can't miss a single word. And I said, you know, you're right. And that's, it's true. I want to know what they're saying. I don't want to just, you know. Let me ask you this question then. When you're watching a show then, right? Mm -hmm. So like, here's, here's, here's an analogy, right? So like, Mm -hmm. so like, I, I, I am the driver. I, I drive for the family, right? Mm-hmm. And if my wife drives, it's a different story. I'm in, I I can never sit in the passenger seat. I always want to sit in the back, right? But when I do sit in the front, though, I have this habit of of like a ghost braking and ghost accelerating. So like when you're so when you're in watching a show as a transcriptionist at the time, watching a medical show, do you have a habit of trying to pause <laughs> with your foot pedal? Like wait, 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 pause. Rewind. I have do you do, you do that type yes. of motion as you're doing that? Yes. I, I, I definitely want to see exactly what they say. What suture was that? You know, what tool was that? And and what I'm always famous for doing is saying, that would never happen like that. No, the doctor would never say that. He would just you know, he would never say Clindamycin. He would say Clinda. You know, I mean, so I always compare these TV shows to the real world, and they're close to no cigar. <laughs> yeah, I know one. I know you. You mentioned you had um, created a system of, I guess, trying to identify some of the the nuances that certain physicians have. But like, mm-hmm. I know, I know for sure there are some foreign foreign physicians uh, that have really really heavy accents, especially. Uh, from from you know not even just from you know listening to dictation but actually listening to to physicians on the floor especially those who have Latin you know Spanish accents very heavy ones uh, yeah, and even Indian. Indian accents oh my goodness yeah. and then uh, I lived in I you know I lived in South Florida uh, those with heavy uh, Creole ha- Haitian accents and then those who have uh, Caribbean accents. Uh, mm-hmm. Very intriguing accents, but I, I think when you and and very very nice to listen to, but then mm-hmm. when you're trying to get it into transcription, I'm sure that that can definitely be pose a challenge. How did you handle that? Um, it, excelling in that really takes lots of lots of practice, practice, exposure, exposure. You know, there there are some doctors that have the accents and they speed through. Other doctors are more considerate and they tr- know they have an accent and they want their, cor- their work to be correct. So they will try to accommodate us and not speed through. Other doctors will just speed through. So it just comes with um, time and exposure and, and the beauty of working for the same doctors, you know, we're working for the same hospital. I think it's a lot more difficult when you work for a service and you don't know which hospital you're going to be on today. God help you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you you, de- you haven't developed a, a certain relationship with that physician to understand what they're going through. It's kind of like the same thing with clinical documentation improvement. You know, you you get a sense of, you know, like you transcribe their documentation, but we also note how they document as well uh, their their habits as as far as certain conditions, as far as their treatment. We know, we can expect what they're going to write as well. And you know, we're like, "Oh, you know, you have the good physicians that document very clearly to the concise point of, of um, making sure those uh, diagnoses are very specific. And then, you know, sometimes you have doctors that just don't care and, and label sepsis on all patients, even though they don't have the qualifiers for it. So, you, you know, I guess I guess there's there are times where you, you know, physicians, regardless, 
you know, just developing that that relationship with them indirectly, even you know, just no, just noting their behavior is something across the board from from medical transcriptionists to coders as well, because uh, you know if they're you know if it's a surgeon, you know right away what they're gonna do every time. And you're gonna assign those those line of codes and procedure codes right away. And it's the same thing with clinical documentation improvement. Do you you know you're going to have to query because every time you tell him he's not gonna do it, and you know it, this documentation will never change. And I guess the idea is just trying to capture, you know, their behavior. Exactly. So the expo- the continual exposure, you just get to understand what they meant, what they didn't mean, and it's just wonderful. I mean, I would take. But before things, everything was electronic. I would print out a hard copy of this one doctor that I had problems with, and he was a nice guy. I would go up to the floors where I knew he was there, and I would say, "Doctor, you know, what is this?" And he would say to me, "Oh, this means this," and it's it, and he would explain to me the origin of the word, and so it would just help me understand. And I, I you know, I wanted to never have to ask the same question twice. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about a bit of the technology now. I, you know, I, I've, I've, I've had to deal with paper. <laughs> I've had to deal with the transcriptions. Um, but then you start hearing things like, you know, natural language processing. Um, you know, the Dragon software was the biggest thing that I've heard, and, and it's currently there. Um, when did you like? What part? I guess you, you, you were told that you know of the future of medical transcription but when is it that you actually aside from people you know leaving their jobs and being outsourced like when did you actually see it through technology that this was happening in my doctors my private doctor's offices i went to my one doctor one day just for a flu shot or something like that and i saw this gadget on the desk and i said to her what is this and she said, oh, we don't use our transcription service anymore. Now we just use Dragon. And I said, really? My goodness. I mean, that was such a huge part of my employment through the years, working for private doctors, mostly specialists who would, you know, get patient referrals. And then they would write a letter saying, I saw your patient and he had blah, blah, blah. And all that was just being eliminated with this gadget sitting next to this computer. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a little gadget too. <laughs> yeah, it's a little weird little gadget. Now, like, um, I know when when the when the technology, uh, you know, voice recognition software was coming out, people were saying, "Oh, yeah, no, medical transcription, it's all right. You know, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna uh, falter." Or I heard, I I was I was I read and heard that people were saying, "Well, you know, with software." Medical transcriptionists will become now medical something editors, medical, right. you know, some some type of editor, kind of like, um, how would I say, kind of like taking you to the next level in medical transcription where, you know, where the physician would then enter through the voice recognition software and then you would have a professional at the top editing what they would say. Mm-hmm. What happened with that? Yeah, they do have a lot of positions with that from what I see, but they pay even less money than a transcriptionist. Wow. And, um, yeah, because I thought about that. I said, well, okay, I could sit and listen to dictation and just go and find the errors. But it pays even less per line than, than to type the report. And at that point, I said, should I investigate, you know, this dying field, or should I try to get into coding where there's a, it's a boom, more of a booming field? 
And um, that's why I, I, I didn't go there. And so I belong to the Facebook page for coding, and I belong to also a Facebook page for transcription. And um, I'm glad I went the way that I went because the jobs for transcription, even from five years ago, are, I'd say, a fraction of what they were. Everything is outsourced or voice recognition. And then we all thought as transcriptionists, well, the quality, the quality is no good. They'll never be able to get around the accents, the speed, the quirks of the doctors. Right, that's what the I heard. The quality will be too poor to be viable. And that is true. And the hospitals use it anyway. Because I see when I do my ER work, I have um, the 3M program on one monitor, and I have Meditech on the other monitor, the Meditech is our EMR, and the, sometimes the voice recognition is so poor that I can't even get the gist of what the patient is trying to say or what the doctor is trying to say. patient comes in with a complaint of, what? Something that makes absolutely no sense, and I can't even piece it together sometimes. It's that bad. And it's a problem. It's a problem. Yeah, that, that doesn't go away, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think that this will be this will come full circle, and eventually the hospitals will realize, you know what, guys, we've got to spend the money and get quality reports and 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 speed and bring our transcriptionists back. We need live transcriptionists in house again. I'd like to think it will go full circle, but I may be retired by then. Uh, <laughs> yeah, know. you might see you might see it come back kind of like, okay, well, you know, the That's the technology the hasn't or I guess I think here's here's what I think. Here's I think at a point where technology can I, I know it progresses at some point, but maybe it might stall a bit where they might kind of get a little bit retro um, and bring some of it back. Because uh, maybe I guess with any technology, if it if it moves too fast, you know, then it's like you know trying to run before you can walk type of situation. But um, I don't see that anytime soon. But it may happen. Like that's usually with technology where you know we think we're going way too you know we think we're going too good and real fast. Then all of a sudden there's a there's a going to be a stumble. Um, yeah, in crash. some form like you know, some kind of crash. Where mm-hmm. they have to reevaluate themselves and mm-hmm. then come up with another way, uh, maybe mm-hmm. an integrated hybrid way, perhaps. Uh, mm-hmm. But that, I mean, I'm not just talking about medical technology, you know, t- uh, transcription, but also even encoding. Uh, you hear that now uh, with uh, computerized uh, assisted coding. We're in that. We're in that discussion now. Like, oh, well. Will uh, will technology take over medical coders? I think it's different. I think it's different from from medical transcription only because you know with with transcription you know it's just basically you know you have to say what you know you have to type what the doctor says but but you know i know you've learned this especially with coding there's so much more into assigning the code that it it, it can for a computer to decipher that i i the computer has to be very sophisticated uh, in trying to do that now, with like Watson though, when you hear like things like Watson and you know, as, the first time I heard Watson was about in Jeopardy or something, where they tried to, <laughs> where where Watson pretty much won against uh, what's his name Ken Jennings, um, and you see that, but I think I think the idea of technology now is to utilize that from a data 
capturing standpoint. Now, not data capturing, but data reporting standpoint. Like once all the codes are entered and and you know compiled, then the AI will come in and kind of analyze that data to create best outcomes for certain situations that are happening. Now, as far as coding, I I don't think so. Um, but you see, but I see it now, especially with certain uh, software programming, well, certain programs that are out there, EMR programs, where physicians would enter the diagnosis and automatically would assign itself a code. But then when you look at it, you know, review the report, sometimes the codes are incorrect. You know, they say history of pulmonary embolism, pulmon- the acute pulmonary embolism would come up. <laughs> and they're not. And then, you know, it's up to the coder to make sure that everything has been treated, you know, symptomatic or something like that. Uh, and either that between the acute, the chronic or the the history, there's a history of pulmonary embolism. So um, you would see that, uh, especially with with um, with the coding. Even with the simple ER coding, somebody will come in with a fractured left middle finger. And all throughout the report, it'll say left middle finger, left middle finger. Here's the x-ray. Okay, it's left middle finger. And the bottom, at the bottom of the diagnosis, the, doc, the ER doctor will put fracture unspecified yeah. finger. Mm-hmm. Now, if that was done by a computer, that would go in incorrectly because that's what the doctor put in. But no, I'd have to put left middle, you know. You put what, you put what it is. Yeah, that's what we see. <laughs> and here's the thing too: is like if if um, you know, some even in the copy and paste issue uh, mm-hmm. where you see that, let's say for example in the ER, you know, you see the front, you know, the, the the specific location of the of the finger, and then you see an issue where uh, it states in the starts in the ER, but then all of a sudden gets copied over and over to the HNP, to the progress note, to the consult, to the discharge, then we have an issue. You know, so uh, at this point, like, you know, everybody's asking, well, what about computerized statistical? Not yet. Uh, Not no yet. Way. Not yet. I mean, we say that now, but you never know. You mm-hmm. said you said that about medical transcription, but you never know. It's true. You know, it's so. True. Uh, and you took the initiative, though, right? But I, I think that's what everybody should do. When you see something that is going to happen, even though you may think, it's not going to happen. Just, just, just have that forward thinking. Like maybe. So, what should I do in the case? Kind of have that, uh, that escape plan. Uh, like your plan B. What would happen? I think you already created that plan B. Um, exactly. So here's the question then: um, what what skills in technical skills in medical transcription do you see? translated in technical skills as a medical coder? Um, well, of course, the anatomy and physiology. Yeah. The disease process. Do you mean technical skills as in computer work? Yeah, no, mean- I think, I think, I, I guess what, what you create, what you did in, um, I mean, we'll, we'll get into the knowledge part, right? But the technical, when I say technical, like when you, you mentioned when you had to listen to a physician uh, and you created this file of you know common phrases that you would see, and you yeah. developed that system, right? So what yeah. kind of so when you went into when you finally got that position as an ER coder, what kind of systems did you set in place that maybe resembled medical transcript? What you did in medical transcription that you did in medical coding? Absolutely. Um, oh, I see what you mean. As a matter of fact, history repeated itself because when I started doing, after my, I had a three-month training process 
where I would work during the week and on the weekends I would sit down with the person who was training me and we'd go over all the reports that I did. The good, the bad, and the ugly as to what I did wrong, what I did incorrect, and it, it was a three-month process. And I remember when we were nearing the, three, the end of the three months, I was in panic mode because I said, I can't do this by myself. I don't want to submit reports to billing that may be wrong and, and, and lacking or, oh, God, I went into a total panic mode. So what I started, yeah, so what I started doing, what really training process actually is, once again, I had those big folders. I went back to Staples and bought big folders. And instead of listing the reports by doctor name, I was listing the reports by type of report. Okay, here we have a DOA, and this is the specifics to that. Okay, here we have um, a, a GI complaint. Here we have a lot of the procedures. You know, we have a, 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 joint, re, uh, a joint reduction. That kind of stuff was very difficult, you know, the different IVs and the fusions. So anything that I found difficult, I filed in those folders under under work type, you know, IVs and fusions. Um, okay, here here we have insertion of a Foley. That's a whole process in itself as far as coding. So I, I saved everything alphabetically as far as the type of report. So next time I had an insertion of a Foley or a trach adjustment, I went and looked at the codes to see what I was doing. Nice. I like that. I like that. So like, <laughs> so you develop, I guess I, I, I can see what you're doing. And I, I also, I, I, I kind of I, I teach that in a way uh, through CDI is you come up with, I guess, a system that points out other people's systems. Or in this case, with medical coding, you create a system that kind of creates what is expected with a certain situation, yeah. right? Yeah. And so what did you, I do when I had this last time, right? Exactly. So you mm-hmm. you're going to expose yourself to if this patient came with this, I know this is going to happen next. I know this treatment is going to be applied. I know if this patient is going to be discharged, etc. Um so you kind of so by the time you've developed that system and you gain that exposure to a let's say a certain condition, by the time you look at it again, you already know what to expect. Exactly. And that's how I know when I'm learning the job because it happened with transcription that I had these big folders that I spent the first year copying, highlighting, filing, copying, highlighting, filing, referring back to. And then all of a sudden one day I said, wow, that book, those books of the folders from A to Z have been sitting on the shelf and I haven't needed to open them up. And now that's happened with coding as well. I had that file in my drawer with all the samples and examples, and I haven't looked at it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the best way of learning is, is you know, they say you know, the resources are good. The resources are always good to come back and learn your fundamentals. And that's what you're being taught in school, fundamentals. But I, I think when you move into the real world, the real world resource is that medical record. And the medical record is so varied in cases i mean you can't predict what's going to happen in public health uh you know what public health population etc you can't figure anybody can come in with any certain thing and any combination of a certain of two conditions that you know you don't know what to expect but unless you can capture it in terms of a similarity you develop a 
paper-based system, right? Uh, have you ever thought about tr- transitioning that into an electronics? I know you're kind of uh, resistant to technology, but you know because of your experience. But would you ever translate that binder and folder to something like a like an Excel spreadsheet or something like that? Um, if I had ac- if, if 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 I could blink my eyes and have that, I think it was great. <laughs> but the time that it would take to to put into Excel, you know, my my old fashioned hard copy works, works great for me. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I, I totally agree because there are, there are people who who love paper, uh, who need something tangible. I think that's the key. Need something tangible to grab, to hold, to look, to see, to put away. Uh, not so much me, though. <laughs> you won't see too much paper on my desk. But, I, I you know, once you, I guess the idea of taking what you do and kind of translating it into something that, in a tr- electronic side, if you can capture that, that 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 actually eliminates the paper a little bit more. And you, and once you do that, then you know it, you become a little bit more uh, not resistant to to util- you know transitioning what you think into um, into an electronic format. Now, speaking of electronic format, then you actually uh, decided you you told the story, but now you decided to type it onto. Uh, this wonderful story uh, that you submitted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But now let's talk about the story itself. So you're now Mm -hmm. a medical coder, right? Mm -hmm. How did you get to being or presented the opportunity to tell your story uh, through your article? I attended a meeting in June with one of my bosses, the coding supervisor, and it was given at my hospital. So I went to the meeting with um, some coding issues, medical records issues. I go to these meetings whenever I can. Um, and someone from another hospital is the New York chapter of AHIMA, um, and that's called NIHEMA. Um, she said that being on the, on the staff with NIHEMA, they're looking for articles of interest in the field. And if anybody has anything they want to submit of a personal nature, of a work-related nature, send it in and it will be considered. So at that moment, I jotted down on my notes that I would write something about my transitioning because I thought that might be of interest to another transcriptionist. I don't know if it would be of interest to a coder, if it was already a coder, but I would think possibly a transcriptionist. So, um, yeah, so... Around a month later, I sat down and I said, okay, let's write this article. So I wrote the article, and I was sitting there typing like a mad person, and it really came out pretty easily because it was all just flowing, and it's what happened. And it took me maybe a half an hour to write the article. But then when I reread it, it took me a week to keep tweaking it, and no, no, take this out, and... Like, 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 oh. and that's repetitive. Right. Yes. So I kept re revamping it, revamping it, revamping it. I sent it to my friend. Read this. What do you think? Then a day later, I would say, "This is like that one. Read this one." <laughs> so finally, when I thought I had it as concise as possible, and I, I, I submitted it, and they said that they would review it for the online article, the online magazine of theirs called Perspectives. And then I received an email that it was going to be going out at the end of August, and uh, it was going to be published. And, you know, I was pretty excited about that. So then I got an email just 
maybe two weeks ago and telling me that here's the link and um and it was great. It was really great. So I forwarded it to my supervisors at work and I got some real positive feedback and that's when I said, you know what, I should really post this on the Facebook pages for transcription and coding. <laughs> and I got so much so much positive feedback. I was really glad then that I did. Yeah. No, I think because especially, and thank God I, I didn't delete it because <laughs> now here's here's the, now here's the thing. Uh, well, let me see. Let me look at the post though. I think I think what happened was you just posted the link, right? And I don't know. If, I said if, if this event might be of interest to anyone. Okay. Yeah. And then I posted the there link. There you yeah. go. And I and I and I my flag went off. Like, what do you mean interest? Interest in what? In buying something? <laughs> so, <laughs> that, oh, that, no, was just, no, no. that was just me. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I wrote an article article about transitioning. Uh, yeah, I just kind of briefed through and it was published. Oh, okay. So I put I loved it right away. Um, but I didn't read it until I okay. read it. Then I'm like, oh, she wrote something. It's a PDF format. Um, but I almost actually almost deleted, but, um, I'm like, oh, okay. So then, you know, w- what's nice about it is like you said, there's people who, who like you are in the mm-hmm. same situation that you're in or were in, mm-hmm. or probably mm-hmm. going to be in. And mm-hmm. when I tell people to, I think people don't want to do it, but I, you know, you, you, you have a duty to do it because if you have a story, I'm sure. Yeah. And you think like, oh, nobody's going to care. Uh, nobody's gonna listen. But like, uh-huh. I, I think that that kind of holds people back. I, I think it's not so much like who's gonna listen. It's just just get just have the energy enough to just put something out there. Uh, don't right. worry how many people will like it or how many people will read it. Uh, there uh-huh. might be somebody out there who is intrigued by your story. And what would happen is that that one person, maybe me, can spread it out to more people. And so your story will become more of a uh you know it, it spreads out even more you're networked out even more so now with this mm-hmm. link so now with this link like what are you doing with the link of of your article um i have it on my facebook page i put it on a few of the um health information pages but i am going to put it on my linkedin account um that's a definite because you know, I really do enjoy the whole field that I'm in. I also enjoy writing, and I've been I've taken writing classes. And my husband has been very encouraging to me. He says you've really got a flair with this. Your articles flow nicely, and they're intriguing. So I'm going to put it out there and just see if anybody wants to talk to me about doing this again. Yeah. Um, what other What other things do you write aside from your experience? Has there anything that you just like you like writing about? Um, I honestly wrote an article that got published in the newspaper. Okay. I'm a I'm a huge Billy Joel fan. Okay. <laughs> and there was yeah, I'm a huge Billy Joel fan and about fifteen years ago his name was in the on the radio because there was some type of political situation going on with Rudy Giuliani and Hillary Clinton. This is 15 years ago. Somebody was running for governor, senator. I really don't remember. But they made a big stink because at one of the conventions, I think it was the Democratic or maybe the Republican, they played the song Captain Jack. Now everybody knows the song Captain Jack and the words to Captain Jack, but the 
political tenders pointed a finger at Captain Jack's song because the lyrics talk about alcohol and getting high tonight. And they were trying to imply that the political people were pro-drugs because of that song being played in the background. And when I heard this, I'm not a political person either way, but when I heard this, I thought it was outrageous. So I wrote a story to the newspaper, an opinion, and I just said how ridiculous it was to blame poor old Captain Jack for this. But the story that I wrote used all Billy Joel's song titles and album titles. To, and it flowed with the whole picture to get my point across using all the, all the song titles. Anyway, it was published in the newspaper. And I was thrilled and shocked. And then I sent a copy of it to Billy Joel in Long Island. Um, I, I had some address about his studio as well. I wasn't even sure. And I said to him, or whoever was getting received that, look what was sent out in the newspaper. Look what was published in the newspaper. And do you know, a couple of months later, months had gone by. I was sitting, I had picked up my mail, and I was sitting in my living room, and I had this big cat pile of mail, and at the bottom was a big flat envelope that I hadn't even looked at. So I'm sitting there reading through magazines and other mail, and blah, blah, blah. And then I get to the, pot, the bottom of the mail pile, this big flat envelope, and I see Oyster Bay, Long Island. And I'm like, what is this? And I opened it up, and it was an 8 by 10 photograph of Billy Joel ah, nice. saying, thanks for the article, thanks, Joanne, and he signed it. Beautiful. <laughs> and I thought I was going to drop dead, and I'm looking at it it's on my wall now with the article next to it in your frame. It's like, wow. <laughs> so like that, something like that kind of validates your, I guess, passion in sharing your thoughts, right? And so um, I guess you translated that over into being asked to share your perspective in your transition from medical transcription to to coding. Now, now that you have this in play, uh, you're planning to, I mean, I know you put it on Facebook, but you're planning to put it on LinkedIn. So uh, do you have an idea of how you would do that or? Um. I'm I'm not really sure. I haven't really thought it through yet. Um, but I, I definitely will update my profile on LinkedIn and say, Hey, this this is this is a real life situation. Now like where do you think this article could lead you? Like I know it's just one article, but like but you know, like just 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 to just to amuse ourselves, where do you think this article uh could go? You know, this is your first one. Like, you know, for example, right? So when I when I created this podcast, right? Um, I had nothing to say. <laughs> I had nothing to do. I I didn't know what I what I was going to do with this podcast. I knew I was gonna you know I, uh, talk to people like yourself and just ask a bunch of questions. But then um, it had to come down to like that first introduction episode and. I'm 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 not a person to kind of like write out everything and then say it. I just whatever comes to my mind, it comes right out. Yeah, I wing it. Or, you know, I I just don't prepare. I just whatever comes out of my mind and it flows right out. The same way when you're writing, whatever flows, it's going to come right out. So I did the same thing and 
just to give you an idea that the first introductory episode after a year has been listened to at least by over a thousand people. So what you th- so with that being said, what do you how do you see your article being perceived? You know, out there in the community, uh, in the like in the short future, I would say. Well, honestly, I wrote the article only because it was simply a true story, and I thought it was a positive story because it had a happy outcome that there is life after transcription. And I wrote it simply for that purpose. And now that I've gotten so much positive feedback on not only the story itself, but my writing flair, now it's got me thinking, well, maybe this can open a door for me. Um, maybe, a, maybe a door uh, in, in the medical field with, with, with my coding experience and maybe something with writing. Maybe, maybe it's another accidental collision of, of two separate entities coming together, like, like word processing and t- terminology became transcription. Maybe, maybe coding and writing could become something else. Yeah. I don't know, but I'm not going to limit myself. No, 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 right. I, I, and and I, I like that Why thought not? because, because I'll tell you what happened to me is, you know, I went from writing articles like yourself to speaking whatever I thought or actually finding people who, who helped me write some of the things that I wrote to now being out there and speaking. So like the, the progression in that is when you're writing, you're, you're sharing, you're speaking, but then you're not speaking just in the, in the internet space, but then out there being, you know, in the person, in the, in the live event, uh, such as speaking engagement. So maybe you might find yourself in the annual convention talking about uh, your transition. I think, um, especially with conventions today, they, you know, to me, it's like the same stuff. You know, what's the newest trend? Uh, what is this? But I, you know what? I don't see enough of personal stories in the hour. Like, tell me your story. Like, I've been to a couple uh, that I've seen that kind of share, like, like why you should not go into medical coding. <laughs> so, you know, these, those kind of, you know, uh, catchy trends, you know, uh, titles. Uh, and I sit into it. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Uh, but you don't see a lot of storytelling sessions. And if like a lot of associations are listening to this, I think you guys should open yourself to that. Like if there are people who want to go on the speaking circuit, don't limit yourself to just like, okay, well, I just want to talk about uh, what's going on with, uh, you know, the ENM and then the proposed uh, payment change, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Everybody knows about that. Everybody can, can, can watch the article. But I think when, and, and also another thing to think about is, it's not so much what is the facts, but I think sharing a certain perspective is also nice. You know, like you mentioned, there's an article on perspectives, but I think a lot of conventions should um, open their doors to more perspective type of training. Like, this is what I think, you know, this is probably what you think, but here's what I think. And I think when you present a certain perspective out there, it kind of opens up the mind a bit. You know, I think a lot of people need to be a little bit more open-minded to different perspectives so that way they can, you know, that's why you hear now hybrid models and, and uh, hybrid systems, you know, to bring everything together so that way uh, there is an open way of working. Right, right. Without an open mind, it's, it's pretty much a done deal. Yeah. So what, so you written this article in, what is your next, would you, if you had to write a, another article, what would it be? I would probably write 
stories of a personal nature of my Italian upbringing and family situations, because that's what I had been thinking about doing for a while now. And I've been encouraged by a few close friends that I should do that. Um, so now that I've gotten such positive feedback with this article, I might just put pen to paper and start that venture. Would you ever, would you, would you ever turn that, I guess, as you progress into your writing journey now, <laughs> would you ever think about uh, making a book? Um, I know I'm jumping the gun, but yeah, I might as well ask. I I would because I had been thinking about, I have a lot of family stories to put together and I've been told by several people that I should, they would be of interest to people of, you know, with similar, similar backgrounds. So yes, I, I would consider it. Well, you heard it first. So <laughs> once you create that <laughs> book, I want to, I want to, I want to autograph copy. Well, <laughs> uh, Joanne, I do want to thank you for being part of the podcast. Uh, wonderful hearing um, your writing journey has kind of blossomed now. Uh, so I have two two final questions to ask you. Number one, uh, I think we kind of touched on it, but like, what does the future hold for yourself? You could talk about in terms of your coding, in terms of I think we've already mentioned your writing, but what does the future hold for you? Um. I'm open to suggestions. I'm very interested. I, I really enjoy the ER work for reasons I explained earlier. And now I'm hearing about certification for uh, trauma registry. And even though it's, it, it, it's, it's very um, much more com- complex, I think I have um, some foundations going into it with the terminology, anatomy, physiology, the coding, the ER coding. So I'm going to investigate that avenue as well, as it might be of greater interest to yeah. me. Um, and speaking of the, the trauma registry, uh, you could talk to um, Charlita Huffman. If you look at the podcast, she is the she's one of my she was my first guest, uh, and she talked about that how she got into that. Um, uh, my sister, who was an L, well, she is an LPN now. Uh, she most recently got into trauma registry. Uh, so she's under, she went through a training in Orlando. I mean, she lives in South Florida, but she underwent a training in, um, I guess, a general training in Orlando. And yeah, she's looking now into certifications, just going through the classes. Um, the way she mentioned it to me is just, I think it fits well, you know, in terms, there's a little bit of coding because she, she, ta- she asked me sometimes about coding she said, oh, and people know me because I guess they're in the HIM field. Says, you have your brother. You should ask him about the coding. I said, well, you know, she could do that, but I think she can, and you know, she doesn't even do it. She just, she says, well, you know, they, they know Brian and, and, um, you know, she could do it on her own, but there's a lot of, I guess, in terms of abstraction, uh, and trying to pull it in the database, making sure the database is closed, etc. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a seamless transition. So medical transcription to ER coding to trauma registry, uh, that definitely sounds like a, a good transition. Um, yeah, I'm going to investigate it. Would you ever consider any other coding credentials? Yes. Wh- which one do you have? It. Which one do you have now? I have the CBCS clinical billing and coding specialist from NRA, NHA, I think it is. Um, I have that. I don't have any of the AHIMA, the CCS, uh, CPC. I don't have those. 
And I was going to go for them, but I really, really enjoy the ER coding. Mm-hmm. And um, I really don't know if I want to get into inpatient and ASU and th- that kind of stuff. Right. So I put it on hold right now as I'm en- enjoying and taking a, 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 catching my breath. Oh, for sure. I did with the ER. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. All right. Well, that yeah. sounds pretty cool. So, like, so now our our final question is: What best words of advice could you give to our audience? You're never too old. Even when you think that, you know, you you want to wind down your career and, and you've been doing something for so long, it's it's never you're never too old, especially with a transcription brain. Your your brain is even smarter and more active than you would imagine from doing the job that you do. Even though it's easy for you, it's still a great exercise. And to slip into some more learning is not going to be a difficult thing that you might think it would be. So there you have it. That is my interview with Joanne Toss. Uh, again, thank you for being part of the podcast. Thank you for for reaching back out or being in contact. Uh, so that way I could let you know about this, uh, this episode and finally releasing it. A year later. For more information on Joanne, you can go to medicalcodinggeek.com slash podcast where I will have a link for her LinkedIn profile. Also, don't forget our partners, medicalcodinggeek.com slash promos, medicalcodinggeek.com slash partners. Also, if you need a speaker, I'm there for you. You can email me at bcui at medicalcodinggeek.com. And of course, you could find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and also Instagram at NEC Podcast uh, at MED Coding Geek. <laughs> All right, thank you guys. Uh, we'll return back with a new episode. Thank you. Geek.com.